This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this surprise round, we're going to finally play my favorite version of D&D, Dragons and Dragons. <laughs> Not only that, we're going to fly like a dragon above the clouds and rainbows on a pleasant jaunt on the back of a super friendly dragon in this surprise round recording of Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. Because... Council of Worms confirmed. All dragons are super friendly, right? That's how that works? Absolutely. I would never say anything bad about a dragon. Nope, I think that's wise. That's uh, definitely how he got the name Cyan Bloodbane. Yep, <laughs> right. feel good about this guy. So, we've gathered a powerful flight of drakes for this adventure. The, the first of which you've already heard uh, a few times here is our great, great worm blue of the bunch, the, a writer for Tribality and the official Tome Show historian, Brandis Stoddard. Welcome back, sir. Howdy, howdy. And then also joining us uh, is the, the clever emerald dragon of the group. A forever DM from newbie DM, it is Enrique Bertrand. Hola todos, ¿cómo están? I know a little bit of French, but you lose me with the Spanish. <laughs> in this episode, we are discussing the adventure of Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, a monster in lore style book akin to Volo's Guide to Monsters, but entirely themed around dragons. As a reminder, in surprise round episodes, we get our first impressions of a book out very quickly after a book is released, or sometimes before, with the understanding we probably haven't done a deep read through it, and we probably haven't played it. And then, if needed, we'll revisit the book after it's been out for a while and have a chance to dig in deeper. Before we dig in, though, I want to remind folks that if you want to support the show... Come be a patron at patreon.com slash show. The support of the patrons helps helps pay the bills and keeps the show going. So now, on to the dragons. Full disclosure, I am working under the full assumption that every single person here is working from a review copy. That is why we have it before the book has come out. Yep. Okay, nobody, nobody has a fluke copy that Amazon just shipped early and it somehow got through the, the supply chain issues or, any, or something. Um, D&D Beyond copy has dropped, yeah? Um, if it did it just recently, I think. Well, didn't get reviewed copies. Have the book by now. The book's already released. Did, but the, is the physical book actually out? Because they, they delayed the release of the... I thought it came out on Tuesday. I thought it was pushed till next week. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm oftentimes wrong, especially these days. No, no, no. The book is out. The book is okay. out. There you go. All right. The book is out. I only know that because I saw some complaints today on Twitter about the print of the cover. Oh. edition. There were people complaining about the the cover being um, messed up in some copies. Okay. Yep. My review copies were fine. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that anyone's were mm-hmm. messed up because this book real pretty. It is. I was impressed with the little details. I I, I, I noticed as I was getting ready to send the the special cover to Tracy that they, they snuck a little bird on the, the scan on this uh, code on the back. That was kind of cool. Cool little attention to detail piece. So, so let's talk about this book. Uh, Fizbin's treasury of dragons. What is this book? What's the, what's the premise? What's this about? I mean, it is right there. Uh, this book does what it says in the tin. It is it is dragons from soup to nuts. It, it, it's a Draconomicon for fifth edition. Yep. Yeah. I mean that that is honestly um, the bulk of my impression of this book is oh this feels a lot like third edition Draconomicon, um, but you know with fifth edition uh, uh, stats in it. Um, I don't think I have the second Ed Draconomicon, uh, or the third Ed, or the or the fourth Ed. Not, I might have the fourth Ed. I'm not sure about that one. I also think it is a stealth way of uh, Wizards of the Coast to sort of 
I don't want to say reset and reboot, but certainly set the groundwork for how the universe works, mm. the multiverse works in D and D. They did so in a clever way through this creation myth of dragons, which I find really interesting in the way they they went about it. Yeah, it's expanding on the first world sidebar from Tasha's culture of everything. Mm-hmm. This concept that dragons exist in the multiverse and different versions of themselves, I find that to be really interesting because I wonder if that's something they're going to expand into other creatures beyond just dragons. That'll be interesting to see. Um, uh, I want to say it's the spell weavers that in in Third Ed canon that are trying to like collapse all, all the realities back down into one reality. So that that would be a very appropriate place to have another race that mm-hmm. was aware of like diverging worlds of themselves. I recall the spellweavers being particularly cool and then never using them. I don't yeah. I don't have a yeah, lot of experience with with their story, I guess, because of that. This is this is the way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so there's player facing content. Um, there's the dragon magic section, it's spells and magic items, so it's sort of multi-purpose, player facing, GM facing. Um, but then once you get to chapter three, um, it's not quite strictly, but very heavily uh, DM facing from there on out. Um, the, the, the best area is 64 pages of monsters, so that, that, that ain't nothing. The part of why I, I say this feels like the third edition Draconomicon to me is is part of is is in part because of that right the in the third edition books we used to occasionally get a book like this that was just full of you know lore and here's layers for various creatures and uh and and a whole bunch of stat blocks and and maybe a handful of magic items or whatever um i i don't they're probably it's third edition so there's probably some prestige classes and stuff that they threw in with because there's always a prestige class and a handful of feats in in every third edition book um and 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 i think i wonder if it doesn't capture that specific draconomicon's feel to me because of i believe james wyatt was instrumental in in the third edition draconomicon and also was brought back to the D&D team on this one or who knows? Maybe this book was was Wizards' excuse to, or the D and D team's excuse to be like, "Oh, sorry, we got to take James back from the Magic team because we got to do this Dragon book." So, haha, we got James. <laughs> it was all just internal politics, and because of it, we get a big book of dragons and Dragonlance. And Dragonlance, yeah, um, that's interesting as well. There's. Um, there's a lot of Dragonlance in this book, and Dragonlance has been almost non-existent in Fifth Edition to this point. Um, I, I'll go out and do a little sidebar here, but I think this is clearly a, a, a prelude of what's to come. I, I suspect we're going to see Dragonlance uh, when the new five point five thingy majinga they're working on comes out and. In 24, only because it lines up with Dragonlance's anniversary and D&D's anniversary. Well, we've got um, we got one more promised classic setting this year that yeah. has not been specified. I, uh, I think they're setting the groundwork for that. And, and you see it in this book. One of the things that stood out at me in this book is that, um, you know, you have Dragonlance magic items in the book. Uh, you actually have a Dragonlance um, as a magic item in the book. Mm-hmm. You have some spells with Fizban's name on it. Um, and then there's a on, on page 58, they go into examples of dragon campaigns. And the three campaigns they touch on, the first one is Kryn. Um, the second one, surprisingly, is Council of Worms, which, wow, what a what a, what a a throwback. I got my, my copy of Council of Worms here, by the way, if you've ever wanted to play a, a dragon. And then uh, Tarkir, which, to be perfectly uh, honest on full disclosure, I have no idea what Tarkir is because I don't play Magic. But there it is. Um, 
three examples that are completely like to me are like, wow, the, of the three things you could have picked, you know, you went with these. Right. I mean, uh, based on the, the track record of the edition so far, releasing Tarkir as a setting it can't be put off the table. I mean, the, the, I feel like the magic setting books must be doing okay, right? Um, I don't know that I hardly ever hear of anybody playing in those settings, but they keep making them, so they must be doing all right. And, and, and they did one more thing that I found interesting. If, if you let me touch it real quick, yeah, um, they included in the in the in the bestiary they included draconians, right? But they didn't go into the specific different types of draconians. They kind of left that open ended, and they sort of gave them uh, military roles or martial roles, like a tr- draconian foot soldier or a draconian scout or whatever. Yep. But, but the actual the, specific ones, I suspect, they're leaving those for when they release Dragonlance proper, that they can well, flush them out. Well, hold on. The, the lore entry for each one includes its Dragonlance name. Does it? Yep. The 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 Baz, the Bozak, the Capac. That's all in the lore entry. Um, that, not in the that goes with that step lock. Which and and I remember when when uh, Brandis got you got your early copy before I did, and you were talking about it in the Tome Show's Discord and talking about the Draconians and how they changed they they gave them more generic names. And my response was, and honestly, still is, I feel like the names that they have are fantasy generic enough. Like I I get that they're referencing specific Dragonlance things, but like. Not that I would have recognized, and I've read all the books. So, well, so, so it's only in Dragonlance that the draconian foot soldier is the result of experiments performed on a brass egg, uh-huh. right? That that's not true elsewhere. So the name Baz doesn't mean anything. But it didn't really mean anything to me anyway, so it was fine. It just as a generic fantasy name. <laughs> I, I, I can't help you if you I, don't <laughs> get that it's a reference. No, right? Uh, right, but 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 I don't. I think if I don't know, it worked for me either way, um, as a reference or not. But well, know, and then there's the interesting part about the novels. I mean, I know Wizards owns the property, I believe, for Dragonlance. But there are they had the contract to be able to write the novels, right? Then those are coming out sometime soon. Yeah, I, I would presume, as Enrique has uh, predicted, that they're gonna they're saving up some Dragonland stuff and they're gonna dump a bunch of Dragonlands on us um, all around that anniversary. Which is is it next year or two years? Twenty four. Twenty four. Yeah, I just remember the the lawsuit and everything, right? Am I remembering correctly, or am that I was, being that recorded? Was a, no, that was a thing. There was a big lawsuit, and then it got worked out. They yeah. settled. Yeah. And they talk about revisiting the classic uh, Dragonlance Chronicles characters, which you know, in the Dragonlance timeline, I think some of those people are you know long dead and buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, what so they've said suspect, about. I'm sorry. Don't mean to talk I, to me. I, I'm suspecting some time travel, uh, time traveling shenanigans, and a soft reboot of maybe uh, the Chronicles to bring it more up to up to date with the modern audiences, maybe, and using that as a foundation for a campaign setting. That, that's mm. really where I think this is going. Um, we'll I mean, uh, what they've said about uh, novel canon is that um, settings can be a separate canon from novel canon. Now, like that, that's right. their take going forward. That's yeah, that's been clearly what they've been doing with like the realms. Um, and that's that that in particular has been interesting because drawing all everything as canon has been sort of the way of the realms for a long time. Whereas, you know, Eber- Eberron or whatever, like it's it's a little more flexible, right? So so anyway, I want. I was curious. So I, I I wrote in the script. I guess Tracy said, but I wrote in the script that this is kind of a monster slash lore book, a la Volos, but dragon focused. Is that a fair description? I wonder. How does this compare to to other monster slash lore books that they've put out, like like Volos? Certainly more focused on a single topic, right? Sure. Uh, it does have uh, 
uh, you know, player-facing content in the same way that Volos had um, monster races mm-hmm. uh, as as playable races. Um, so it's more player-facing content, I guess, than um, Mordenkind's Tome of Foes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is also much more aggressively getting into here are ways to tell stories with this, here are story seeds, here are in fact a giant number of story seeds than anything they've released to date. Okay. It, it's a whole new approach to putting content in the GM's hands in a, you know, buy it today, use it tonight mm-hmm. kind of way. That's interesting because I, I felt like there was a lot of story seeds in like, uh, I don't remember which, if it was Volos or Morgan Canaan now, but like the bit about, you know, the section on Mind Flayers or whatever, like there was a lot of lore background, but there was also some story seeds built into that. You're saying it's more than that? Um, so the, the Draconomicon section has, um, was you, you've got both the, the Dragon Adventures, uh, Dragon Campaigns, then um, the, the Draconomicon section has uh, like personality traits and connections and um, adventure hooks for every type of dragon. Mm-hmm. So like, you're looking at a, a D6 to D8 table for everything. Mm-hmm. And so like that that is just over the different number of dragons we're talking about, that's a huge number of hooks of just uh Here's what the dragon wants. How does it go about that? Well, we'll figure it out. But or maybe we'll give you some suggestions. Like that 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 is an incredible amount of um, instantly usable content. Um, and I love how the connections you know, suggest uh, alliances, and the, the alliance might suggest a conflict, and so on. I think it's great. Okay. I certainly can't really find another book to compare it to, only because it, it's so focused on it's hyper focused on dragons, and and I, you know even a book like like uh, Volos, which kind of did that with you know some of the monsters and mind flayers and whatnot. Um, certainly not to the degree of a whole book, obviously. Sure. I, I I do wonder if we're going to see more of this moving forward with more iconic monsters like you know. A guide to beholders, a guide to elithids, you know, um, that sort of thing, which I think would be really cool if, if they can come up with enough material to justify a full book on those. A, a, a full reprint of I, Tyrant would be amazing. Right? Well, so the thing is, though, like with dragons, there are these natural divisions, right? There's tons of different types of dragons with the chromatics and the metallics and now the crystal um uh, and what have you so you, there is a lot of material you can generate relatively easily with a book focused on dragons Th- there's not nearly the variety of types of beholders uh i think they they would have a hard time i tyrant would would love to differ with you there are well, so many so many beholder kin i mean that, that was that was a, the races. that was a different age man <laughs> so. You're telling me we have enough uh, material on dragons and dungeons and dragons to have a whole book, but maybe not anywhere else. Maybe dungeons we could. Well, I think there's other there's other like you could do a book like this on demons and devils or celest. Like you you could absolutely have. have, Right. Well, but not in this edition. Yes. And that's part of why I I was talking about how this feels like the third edition Draconomicon to me, because that Uh was sort of the mode at the time but they were also publishing two books a month and, and just really pumping out content so coming up with an idea of i don't know let's do a book about monsters every now and then and just just pick one monster and do a whole book on it uh, hey i've got giant craft on my shelf i've got draw of the underdark yeah right like i've got the seven sisters yeah i do too. <laughs> a, a book full of things to not fight awesome yeah i think i have all of those books. I don't know if I have Seven Sisters, but but but, but although the difference being back then, because you're talking about second edition uh, yep. books, oh, yep. those were those thin like pamphlet books. They weren't quite a full hardcover. But but ninety six pages. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a lot less than the um, what two hundred 
20 some plus pages that I see here. So, yep. yep. This is not I a slender think, tome. I do think there was a missed opportunity in this book. Yeah. Um, if you're going to throw out examples and you're going to bring up Council of Worms as an example of something, you know, I do think there was a missed opportunity here to maybe create options for players to play dragons. Um, Mm. and not just leave it in the DM's hands. I think that might have been a welcome thing, might have been different enough to catch, you know, someone's attention too, I think. Um, obviously, you know, maybe maybe they just didn't have the space for it, maybe they, just, maybe they just didn't want to focus the book in that direction, but I think it would have been an interesting addition to 5th edition that a book of dragons included options for players to be dragons. My, my experience with Council of Worms uh, is that it is that is a concept that is different enough to D and D that it is worthy of its own sort of separate thing. Well, it, it's also a completely different power axiom than standard two E. Like it, it's like having maybe a, a late tier two character around all these low tier one humans. Is poor idiots. Yeah. Like if you're gonna do a dragon, we're gonna play a dragon campaign. I think like Council of Worms, I think suggested you you have to make it a party of dragons and and play it that way, right? So so I'm not I'm I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying I feel like it needs to be its own separate thing. Maybe you know what wizards, if they're listening, that might make a good you know one of their extra life charity products. Put out put out a. A seventy-five page uh, PDF that you can sell for for charity. That is how to play a dragon, and and people can play around with that if they want. But yeah, one thing I do love about the book is the section with the horde magic items and the draconic gifts and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It's really that, awesome. It's really good stuff, and I think it really expands a lot on, on that. You know, the, the the horde and the treasure section of the DMG, um, in 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 a, in a really good way. I think. Well, the the horde items are especially cool because it's a mechanic for leveling up magic items by increasing their rarity, and yeah. like it's a it's a big complicated task. At minimum, you have to slay a dragon that is higher tier than the magic item you have. That's that's not trivial. Mm-hmm. But um, between these and the vestiges of divergence in Wildmount, that's two models of leveling up a magic item and that's right. really cool to see yeah and if and and two from wizards because i know there's there's a handful of of relatively popular similar sort of things in uh on dm's guild that that folks have published as well so um that that is a concept that i think people have been hungry for for decades um and it hasn't been super well integrated in the past so more well, of that, i mean it I was as well. it was Integral to fourth, right? Every magic item had a new version every five levels. Oh. And then you've got Weapons of Legacy in as a freestanding book in third, along with some optional rules mm-hmm. from uh, Unearthed Arcana in third. The the, the thing the, that you mentioned that I really like is the, the gifts piece, the, the draconic gifts. I've I find that I don't play around with the the gifts or the the blessings or the the boons or whatever. They've got a bunch of them in the DMG or whatever. I don't play around with them very often, but it comes up a, a once or twice like per 1 to 20 campaign and whenever I do whenever it does come up, like I don't know, I feel like it's kind of awesome every, pretty much every single time and it goes it plays really well. Um and, and it has exactly the effect, like, and, and the fact that that it's not just a bunch of generic gifts at, that, like, out of the DMG. Now you've got ones that are specifically sort of dragon focused, um, thematically appropriate for a gift you would get from a powerful dragon. Um, I think adds a flavor that I enjoy. Yeah, the the feats draconic gift sidebar I actually used in my dragon heist game. Um, just immediately after the book showed up on my doorstep, it was like, it was like two days later, um, because they were like meeting this young bronze that's in Dragon Heist, and mm-hmm. they decided to enter his service and let him be their patron. And so he's like, 
yeah, I'll, I'll power you up. It's cool. Have inspiring leader as a bonus feat. Go nuts. So, so the the party paladin has uh, inspiring leader now. And, and for what it's worth, uh, my current one two, I think it's going to be eighteen campaign started with a dragon heist, um, and that that bronze dragon just came up last week again. Uh, you know, like like thirteen levels later, uh, they had gone through Yithrin in Rime of the Frost Maiden, and they raised the city, and they were flying it around, and they were like warned. Laryl like showed up and say, "Hey, just so you know, like you can keep the city." I'm taking that spindle because Mistra is not okay with things that just tear up the weave, right? I'm I'm gonna destroy that for you, uh, and but just so you know, like I don't care if you have a have the flying city flying around, don't park it over Waterdeep, like because that's gonna destroy the crops and whatever, uh, and and just so you know, like there's gonna be a target on your back every. You know, every red wizard of Thay or Manshun uh, is gonna be coming after you, and they're like, you know what? That's a good point. We're going to sink it in the ocean, not too horribly far away from Waterdeep, and then tell that bronze dragon that it's there so that he can go live in it. So now he's got an underground, an underwater uh, flying city to hang out in. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the um, – and I know – well, I don't know if you want it to go in order or not, but there's uh, another thing I mean, that's we, we haven't been going order, in order, so why start now? I, I thought that the stat blocks for Tiamat and Bahamut were pretty cool. <laughs> I, I think it's cool that they're there. Uh, I, I don't know that I would ever like come up with a reason to put them on camera mm. and, and actually deploy those CR30 stat blocks. We've seen, we've seen stat blocks. I mean, if I need them, my God. We've seen stat blocks for Tiamat before. How does it compare? I can check. Well, no, I can tell you that this one's updated because this one has mythic actions, which were not part mm. of the stat block in in the first time they appeared. And I don't think they're part of the stat block in the second time she appeared. So right. I think this is a new Tiamat. Yeah, there were there were no mythic actions at all in Avernus yeah. or uh, Rise of Tiamat, not even a little bit. Yeah. It was um, a new Tiamat. And the, the first Tiamat, as you'll recall, had mechanics built around – like. Here's what you strip out if you've completed this quest goal, right? Right, um, and that was that was always a cool thing, but uh, this one is not depowerable. This one just murders you all the time. Well, and one could argue that Tiamat from Tyranny of Dragons was only partially coming through from another world, and Tiamat in Avernus is is trapped and thus weakened, and that this is Tiamat at at full power, maybe. Yeah, I think it's perfectly fine and good to have different stat blocks for different narrative needs, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, and, the, and, the, and the those, stat block is not an objective reality for the players. Those chromatic great worms are are the other thing I love about this book. That the, concept, the, I yeah, the great worms are the, the great worm thing is real is important to me as a longtime player of D&D, because if I recall, this is the first edition of D&D that did not publish Great Worm stats in, like, Monster Manual 1. Um, so it was nice to see that that option has returned to me. Not that I've, like, hardly ever used Great Worms before, but but they've been a part of the lore for me since, since second edition when I started playing. So um, I was glad to see them. I feel like this embraces like dragon as quasi kaiju more fully than anything else we've seen, and I'm for that. But what I love about the great worms is the storytelling behind them. The idea that they go into different worlds to pull their echoes from different worlds to combine into one huge, you know, basically like a like a Voltron dragon. <laughs> You well, know, it's it's you know the multiversal Highlander, right? I love it. Yeah. I love that awesome. stuff. Like I'm going to go into this world and I'm going to pull the Enrique from here, and I'm going to pull the Enrique from here, and I'm going to make a powerful and all powerful Enrique. That, right? That, <laughs> Who are you, Jet Li? Wants to see, by the way, nobody would want to see an all powerful Enrique pulled from different worlds. But the idea, <laughs> behind, the idea behind it, I think, is fantastic. It's such a cool concept, and it opens the doors to now. If you really wanted to, like, create a cool planar adventure that that deals with traveling to different worlds and whatnot, that's a perfect big bad evil guy at the end of an adventure to throw out your players, and that's a campaign. 
that's a campaign in a, in a stat block right there. Yeah. Well, uh, part, of their conceit, for- part of their conceit is that Ashardalon from um, the third ed like uh, adventure series that starts in Sunless Citadel it is like a red great worm. His whole story is that he was murdering his echoes to you eat their power, and so the whole idea of Dragon Sight is amazing, and uh, it's actually something that like, fits with uh, something um, my friend Colin came up with for a campaign setting um, several years ago, and it's just awesome to see that it's the independent invention of a similar idea. I really, really like that. But but I think you're right. Like it's a it's a really cool idea. I think you can build a really awesome campaign around it. I kind of wish I had some of those seeds. I mean, the seeds are there. I kind of wish I had an outline. You know, you've seen, um, uh, you know, Mike Shea or, or some other folks on occasion will do like a, a two-page sort of, you know, at, at these levels, this is the kind of story that's happening. You know, I wish I had something like that to, to really spur my creativity. But Well, you 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 can get there really really fast by picking the type of dragon you want to use getting the age category that fits the campaign's current tier and just going with that right since you've got uh like story hooks for each age category uh, and, like quirks and, and all the stuff for each age category well like my my major character at first tier is going to be like I don't know this this sure. uh, wormling copper dragon. Well, I, I go with with some of the story seeds for that. At tier two, um, sure, it'll, uh, I'll have a young red dragon as a major villain, and they have to counter all things he's mm. doing. It like, would be interesting. That, that's to, your structure. It would be interesting to just take this this book, look at the story seeds, pick and choose. Okay, this is what we're going to do right now, and then we're going to do that, you know, and just sort of build up the campaign all the way to here's the great worm killing its own echoes um, but, at the finale. But you've also right, you've also got campaign events on fifty eight and fifty nine, um, and then dragon factions and, um, and that kind of and, and uh, yeah, the scaled circles, dragon overlords, uh, and all of this to to do exactly that. Like it isn't necessarily your tier by tier story break mm-hmm. breakdown but it's definitely you, not you can nothing. get there yeah no i mean it's yeah it's absolutely and it's not just seeds there's more assistance than just giving you some seeds sprinkled throughout the lore um so it's somewhere in between here's an outline and here's just some seeds sprinkled in the lore yep. so and i also like that there are new stat blocks and creature ideas for things more than just uh the dragons themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and also at more than just one tier. So you've got like the the hollow dragon that's a, a different form of undead. It's not a dracolich. It's a, a different thing and isn't necessarily an opposition. Um, you've got your um, uh, dragon followers and dragonborn champions and draconians. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those different ways to like fight something that is at least humanoid in body if still draconic in mindset mm-hmm. uh, but you know humanoid in type is also convenient for your spellcasting um, kind of deal you know what else I like about this book the fact that we are now what eight years into 5e is it seven eight years something like that seven and change seven and change and they are not scared to take an iconic creature such as a dragon and change or expand or add to the lore, you know, so late, so late into the edition, and create a whole new way to look at them, mm-hmm. right? And and what's to stop them from doing that to other, you know? Here's you thought this about beholders, but here's what you don't know about beholders. Boom. Well, and, new- and they've they've made it a point in all of the the monster lore books that they've published to, since they're following this, you know. So and so and so's thing of things uh, format, like all of them are written on the idea that this is from a an individual's perspective. So all of the lore you have can also be wrong. This lore, arguably the least so, because Fisbin has reasons to know more about this stuff than any of the other narrators we've had. Um, but 
But that doesn't make him uh, a reliable narrator either. He's also been known to to tell you the things he needs to tell you to get you to do the things he needs you to do, um, whether it's true or not. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think that helps story-wise the sort of tell the story of, you know, sure, the lore said this, but this other lore says this, and that's okay. What's, what's the story in your game? You decide. Well, I think that uh, to Enrique's point, you can specifically expect some of that um, lore overhaul in um, multiverse, multiverse of Monsters. Oh, uh, I, th- I think that's an explicit like part of the mission statement. Now, I had it just, it, it just oh, go ahead. It, it it feels like the multiverse is playing a bigger and bigger and bigger role mm-hmm. in D and D. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if it's all building up to something. Well, you know, a bigger and bigger role in D and D in this edition. Well, it's the only edition we have. <laughs> what what other editions were there? It's I mean, the only edition you had. Well, I played a hell of a lot of Planescape. So, <laughs> uh, but like, this is another way in which fifth is a spiritual successor to second. Second is the other edition that really concerns itself with the interstitial settings right. and the connections between places. Mm-hmm. Um, like sort of some of the Gygaxian Gonzo of first was very friendly to, um, I guess you're in Boot Hill for, for an adventure now kind of thing. Uh, like Boot Hills in the DMG for exactly that reason. And you, know, you hear stories of people who would, like have an adventure in in Crin when the campaign was mostly in Forgotten Realms or whatever, mm-hmm. but Second Edition centered that a lot more, you know, thanks to Spelljammer and Ravenloft and Planescape. Mm-hmm. It absolutely did. So I had a, a we were talking about the the stats uh, and the creatures that are there a little bit. So that I, I had two things that stood out to me that I wanted to to ask about. Uh, one. One might have guessed that in a book like this, if you were ever going to further acknowledge the existence of half-dragons, this is where they would have done it. And they don't. And I'm curious what fe- what people think. Like, the first book, the first adventure we had in the game acknowledged the, the existence of both half-dragons and dragonborn as being separate things. Uh, but they've largely kind of shied away from dealing with half dragons since. Um, hang on, there's oh, oh what is there's a thing uh, dragon characters thirty one. I, I, I think the, thing? the waters are so muddied between dragonborn and draconians as it is now that adding a third mix to that might. And they even call it out in the book. They even reference like. How to tell apart dra- draconians from dragonborn? Well, they acknowledged the fact that it could oh, be. Yep. Uh, page thirty-nine, Jeff. Half dragons. Page thirty-nine. So yeah, I mean, well, yeah. There's a brief a half page. There's a brief, yeah, half page. Sort of here's some origins and and some a little bit of lore on them, but I don't have any more like stats for them or or whatever. So I I, I just didn't know. If people were surprised by that, I was a little bit surprised that um, that they hadn't squeezed a stat block in for him. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, like they, they, I don't think they're seeing a half dragon as even something as stable as a stat block. Honestly, um, what what this seems to say is half dragon might mean almost anything um, because. The last paragraph. In some worlds, these same phenomena might explain the origins of dragonborn kobolds, perhaps the draconic gifts described in chapter two. Like, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't give the impression that that's meant for players. Oh, definitely. No, I agree with that. Uh, and the other one that I, you know, we've talked about the the existence of the great worms and the the interesting sort of lore that they've created with it. In previous editions, when there were great worms, they there was a separate. It was basically just a separate age category for each type of dragon. In this book, it's it's a template that you t- 
tack onto an existing dragon type, which is not something they've done a lot of templates. Like that was a big third edition thing, right? Here's a template, st- stick it on a monster. Um, they they haven't done a lot of that in, in fifth edition, and I'm curious what we think about about that choice and how it how it works, how well you think it's going to go. I definitely think they're not as into templates on the whole in in fifth as they have been. Mm-hmm. Like, these as templates are a little bit more like there are some variables within each feature rather than uh, here are the modifications that's, you provide to a, a prior block. Yeah, you're right. It, um, is, it is more of a generic like here's a great worm gym dragon. Tweak these things depending on what type of gym dragon yeah. it is. They're just really trying to get to you don't need to flip back and forth mm-hmm. at the table or type it up separately mm-hmm. to to function, right? That, that That's a straight-up usability situation for them, I would expect. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I, I do want to – I'd like to hear – like, Tracy, you've had 15 minutes. Uh, <laughs> plus about another 15 while we've talked. Uh, what is your favorite thing that you've gotten a chance to lay your eyes on so far? Uh, I mean – I like the artwork. I probably spent more time than I should have looking uh, at that. I mean, <laughs> the fans do need to hear that it's gorgeous. That's that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and I, I updated the script as part of the outro. I, I like this idea of uh, being able to fly the like the Drake Warden thing. Yeah. Um, I just uh, I worry that. It sounds really cool, but I don't think I'll ever get to 15th level, so uh, I won't actually ever be able to fly my Drake. So, Make I don't know. Start the campaign at 14th level. <laughs> Do it. That's the topic for today's Twitter. Uh, that yeah, that the, the idea of of high level gaming has been a topic of conversation Twitter on Facebook with certain game designers. Uh, it's been kind of all over the place uh, for. And honestly, and I think I made this comment on. Uh, Stephen Radney McFarlane's uh, Facebook post about it that like this is a conversation that seems to come up every I don't know five to ten years and we go through it that, uh, all over again uh, and then eventually people just sort of move on and and, and there it is right um, all of my all of my campaigns go to high level so I don't know what people's problem is but if you're Rob Schwab you take the conversation and you make a game around it and you create Shadow of the Demon Lord that only goes up to level ten right <laughs> accurate. Yeah, and I definitely had seen some of those when I was formulating my my thoughts about it, but it just it definitely drove it home because I was just like, because they lead off with it, and I'm like, yes, this is a cool idea, and then oh, fifteenth level, right? Here, here's this <laughs> iconic thing that defines this class, and you can't do it until the high level that we know you're never going to play. Well, and and like uh, we kind of know uh, what's your response to that from from stuff like the the problem is yeah your your class and subclass don't give that to you but if the campaign wants to support that there can just be a a, a young dragon as an npc that you get to ride and fight alongside you can just do that right but then why create the dry uh the the, the i'm forgetting the term for what it is but well, the, why create so, that <laughs> so that you're one of your friends can can ride that dragon while you ride your dragon. It's, <laughs> it's like getting a second motorcycle. I think it's like, hey, really, please, can you start going to later levels? Yeah. Um, well, I I have said uh, every time this conversation comes up, I, I always talk about how I feel like there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg situation right they don't support high level play very much because people don't play high levels but it's harder to play high levels because they don't support high level play that's actually one of my favorite things about candlekeep mysteries is um starting with about your adventure brandis you get into a level of play that we that is just not supported anywhere else in official fifth edition watsi products um i and i immediately used every single one of them in my campaign and they all that makes me so happy to hear worked great so uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, Tracy. Go ahead. I was just gonna say real quick, we can't go back to the Gonzo days of fourth edition. So, yeah. Um, one <laughs> thing, another thing I love in here is uh, the, the the new types of dragons. Um, 
you, you get your Moonstone Dragons, mm. um, and uh, a Ghost Dragon is a cool new undead dragon. Uh, then the Elder Brain Dragon is super wrong. Right. Super, super wrong. Well, and of those, I want to say that we've had – in previous editions, obviously you're, these are all new to fifth. I don't remember the Elder Brain Dragon or anything like it from previous editions though. And the Moonstone is a super deep cut if I understand correctly. Is it? I, I, I believe it might be a second ed deep cut. Um, and uh, Deep Dragons have been MIA for a minute. Um yeah, um, and we've only I think had maybe one age category of sapphires um, so far in fifth because uh, it's in Laryl uh, Silverhand's Explorers Kit. What about the um, what about these metallic C three PO creatures that they've created for the metallic dragons as sentinels uh, that are kind of like I think they're I neat. I don't. I don't know what I would do with them, but they're neat. Um, I, I think my inclination is to use them mostly as like couriers from the dragon. They're kind of interesting. The artwork is really interesting. I'm trying to figure out what it's supposed to be, and I can't really. Is it? A, it looks kind of like a. I don't know. Like a, I, I think it's supposed to be a like robot. A, a, an animated sort of armor thing. It's a construct. It's really interesting. You know, I, this book, I, and I'm going to go back to this a little bit, but I got the feeling as I was reading the book that Watsi really, really wants you to play a campaign that you jump through different worlds and you visit different locations. Um, there's a lot of that scattered throughout this book with the whole dragon echoes and the whole portals to other planes things and and that sort of thing. And I got the feeling that they really want you to play those type of games. I think they really want it to be on the table for sure. Whether they'll actually fully support that in a published adventure, what a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to manifest you know, in the universe what I want to see happen, Watsi hired me to write that. Mm-hmm. But like the, the whole story of Sardior the Ruby and it being the only Ruby Dragon ever, just as Bahamut is the only Platinum ever, but like that's awesome. I really, really dig that. Um, and the the elegy of the first world, uh, James Wyatt's poem on the first page, uh, I absolutely adore. Most of all because it casts Tiamat's motives in a, an understandable way. Mm-hmm. It's something other than evil for evil's sake. It's it's revenge. She wants revenge on basically everyone. Um, and it explains Bahamut's odd position of like fighting her without actually wanting to hurt her mm-hmm. uh, to me, and, and I really like that. I really That's like really James as a designer. Like he's one of these guys that I've always okay. enjoyed his work. And I read the elegy for the first world, and it almost reads like you know well almost no i mean it's it's kind of like an origin story like a creation story for dragons in the world and and i think about the fact that james is a preacher you know and you know he's he's got a theology background Mm -hmm. and i wonder how much of that you know came into the 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 decision to create this and and make this part of the lore of the dragon lore and the the lore of D D. and i just find that i find that interesting well, it also has some overtones of um, the Iliad because Breathe Dragon Sing of the First World is sort of your uh, sing muse of the wrath of Achilles. Um, and then structurally, it has some overtones of um, uh, the poetic Edda, the Volsunga saga. Um, I, I don't know what his inspirations were, but like. You, you can find some some really rich stuff there if you look for it. And then the use of you know the use of Fizben as the. I was I was going to ask about that. Uh, you know I feel like you know they've been doing this thing with you know because everything is so and so's thing of things, uh, and then they have like these little uh, I call them little post-it note comments uh, scattered throughout mm-hmm. every book. 
Um, and some of them I feel like have been fantastic. Like I couldn't love reading Tasha's commentary on everything more. And sometimes it's just kind of, eh, you know, whatever. This doesn't hurt anything, but it's not adding much to my enjoyment of reading the books. Uh, what did you think about Fisbin's contributions? Uh, how much do they add um, or or not? I like it fun. If you don't know who Fizban is, how much do you get out of mm. this book, the fact that you have Fizban there? Like, if you're new to 5e and you've never read Dragonlance, who mm-hmm. is this guy? He doesn't show up in any adventure. I don't know who he is. Well, that's been true of, like, all of the, the so-and-so's thing of things, right? Uh, until they published the the Morden Kanan book, the, you didn't know anything about Morden Kanan. Um, you know, uh, or Volo mm. or whatever, and then they then they get people all excited about him, and then they put him in an adventure afterwards. That seems to be the the, the true the way they the formula. True, Tasha had Tasha has a spell that she's name checked in, so I suppose you could you could sort of say, oh, I guess she's the one from the hideous laughter spell, right? Um, but it's interesting that that that's the formula. Now that I say that, because if it's you know, here's Morden Kanan's of thing book of things. And then he starts showing up in things in an adventure or two, right? Uh, and the same thing happens with Volo, and then he shows up in Dragon Heist and on and on. Uh, if this is Fizbin's, is is the formula not then confirming uh, Enrique's previous um, uh, prediction that that means we're about to get a an adventure uh, or some other product wherein Fizbin is going to make an appearance? Uh, I'm into it. I think that he might have some legs. I, I, I'd be very surprised if Dragonlance doesn't get a, a campaign setting to coincide <laughs> with the novel and, and, and the anniversary. I, if, if that doesn't happen, it just, I'm just going to shut it down and disappear because I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm done predicting stuff. And if, and if it does happen, can we change uh, – can you stop being the newbie DM and we will instead call you the Oracle of Miami? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've, I've, I got too much time invested with that name. Oh, okay. It's got merch. It's got a rich heritage. <laughs> Dar Jr. suggests that you, your new name could be Oracle DM instead of Newbie DM. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say, especially like Fizzman's note under Blue Dragons. Uh, if I weren't so platinum, it might be blue. Not as in sad or down, quite the opposite. I'd be delighted to be a blue dragon if I were to platinum. <laughs> I, I think that's think so, like, sort of charming. Going back to the going back to the Fizzbent thing, and, and somebody asked on the chat, so maybe we could talk a little bit about it here. For a book centered on a NPC from Dragonlands who we've never met before in Five E, there's really not that much important to the world or why. He's the cover of a book, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of I mean, you either assume you know him or they don't care enough to tell you. They don't care that you don't know. It's one or the other, right? Well, when, when Morden Cannon showed up in Curse of Straw, the book was not going to actually help you understand who the hell he was. Right. <laughs> Which came first, Morden Cannon's book or Curse of Straw? Curse of Straw. I think he. I think years. he made a cameo in Curse of Straw, and then the Morden Cannon book came out, and then he showed up again in uh, Avernus. Correct. So, 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 I mean, yeah, again, I, but I don't know that, like, I think putting some, an important character like this on the cover of a book like this is their way of, is, is the way that they've been building hype. Like, you, you put, you put this, this character that, that's well known to those of us grognards that have been doing this for, for longer than we should, right? Uh, on there, and it's a nice little nod to us. But then you get all the the newer folks sort of interested. Oh, what's going on? And then we're talking about it, and we're filling them in, and, and it builds the hype. They talk, they put it on Dragon Talk, and they fill us in on on who this character is, and it builds the hype some more. And then people suddenly are really into. Oh, this Morden Kanan guy is really cool. Uh, and and then they have people show up and cosplay him at, at live events and. And and then you put him in something and that cameo in, in Avernus then is like, oh, that's that guy from the Morden Canaan book. That's really cool. And then you get to interact with him and, and play with him a little bit, you know? Uh, yeah, and also Google is uh, right there. Right. 
It's right there. You Google Fizzbound, you're going to get an answer. It's going to be a perfectly fine answer. And, and it's going to be the answer that spoils the first three books of, of Dragonlance, too. <laughs> so, Accurate. Yeah. I, 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 I always go out of my way to completely avoid that spoiler, even to this day, even though it's a very long time published. Um, this book does not. <laughs> no, this book does not. Even though, like, yeah, it's been around for a long time, but, like, that – that moment when you find out that thing and suddenly pieces start coming together from two books ago. Um, it was such a cool moment for me when I read it in like middle school that I don't want to risk ruining that moment for anybody. So, I mean, they're trying to use these stories to create a community too. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we're eight years in and it should probably be fairly commonplace knowledge, but and everything, but. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to it, give a sense of shared experience, yeah. Yeah. And also, like, so the fact that they spoil it isn't necessarily an issue if, if a lot of the people weren't necessarily going to read the novel. but Because now you have that in-joke still, even if you... Or right. not joke, but in-knowledge. Well, and I'd like to hope that it's going to... That it's, you know, going to bring some folks... Together, it's going to bring some of the the new players and the grognards like us together because the new players will be like, "Oh, who's this Fisman guy?" And then Brandis can walk into Twitter and be like, "Oh, let me drop a mic on you." <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about some cobalt too while we're at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any uh, sort of last thoughts or things that you want to say about this book that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, if you're a fan of Dyson Logos maps. Uh, you got a whole bunch of Dyson Logos uh, dragon layers. Uh, some are, um, well, not some, probably most, um, are large-scale maps, so the squares are, you know, 10 feet or, or more. Um, not sure how usable they'd be at the table for, for actual miniature play, but definitely as a handout or a reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm always torn on that kind of because on one hand, like I really enjoyed the fact that those maps are there, and I will I will soak them in and enjoy them as I as I read through the book. Uh, but I will probably, in my experience, never pull one of these out of the table and use it like ever. Yeah, and so it kind of it, ultimately it's it's you know maybe if those pages weren't there, I could have gotten a whole chapter on half dragons. I don't know. <laughs> ten foot squares are the bane of my existence. And I hate ten foot squares with the burning passion of a thousand suns. Yes, <laughs> but if he weren't using ten foot squares, he couldn't fit uh, a functional dragon's layer on a single page. You can make the square smaller. Well, then describe it and let me draw it. <laughs> Barely. Barely. Also, we love you, dice logos. Oh, absolutely! I just hate ten foot squares. Yeah. Uh. It'd be a it'd be a fun conversation to have him on sometime to talk about mapping and like mm-hmm. just to hear what an expert has to say. Uh, I, I will say this: I love black and I, I love that style of map more than a nicely rendered, realistic looking map. I really like this. Style I mean, I don't know. I think there's a place oh, yeah. for the the map that they like of the carnival they have in Witchlight. That's kind of really cool. I like the the old uh, Mike Schley maps as well. Those have a place. Um, those are just harder to like throw into a virtual virtual tabletop though and just use um and that's where the the dice and logo maps are are perfect is that you know especially in the age of 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 a pandemic where more and more people have been playing virtually i found during my online play time that those kind of maps were were crucial to my existence to be able to be easier on your printer too oh yeah but I do like the fun little Mike, you know, the way Mike Schley would like hide little, little, you know, little things in, in the corners or, you know, there's this creature p- poking around the corner, of, you know, on, and it was a map, but it was an art piece. And that's, that was, that's a lot of fun to me too. So, so my final thought for this uh, is, is one that I have uh, been charged to offer by my seven-year-old. Oh, yes. Uh, I've been waiting he, for this review. Yeah. Uh, I'll show it to the camera here. Very, very important. And it says uh, – it says, seven-year-old's dragon opinion. Dragons are cool. They like a lot of stuff I like. I can't wait to read more. Well, that is uh, a seven-year-old review of Fisbin's Treasury of Dragons. Yep. He uh, he flipped through the book. He checked out a lot of the art. He read a pretty good bit of it. Um, 
And, and, he, and he's decided that dragons like the things that he likes. Uh, he he likes uh, treasure and winning. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> uh, also, I think that he would have uh, very little anxiety issues if he were a dragon. So that sounds amazing to him. There you go. There you go. So we should then, if those are our, our last thoughts, any other. Um, Questions from the stream. I saw earlier that that Dar Junior had asked uh, about. Was it him that had asked about whether or not any of us have played any of the actual stuff, used any of the stuff in our games? Because we've had it for what a week and a half, two weeks now. Has anybody had a chance to actually incorporate any of the stuff from the game or from the book into their game? Uh, I did use Draconic Gifts, and uh, to plan the encounter with Zelfarn, I did use the. Uh, tables in the young young bronze entry. Okay, I haven't used any of it yet, but I've only had one game, and we're in the in game of the campaign, so pretty much everything is set for me at this point. So, for sure. Although, although I need a bunch of really big badass villains for the end uh, of the campaign, and I might, you know, there might be some things in here when I need to pull out a bunch of CR twenty five and above monsters all at one time. That they they just fought. I used uh, there was a I forget who put it out. There was a, a a book a while ago called Legendary Dragons that Dan Dillon worked on before he was working at Watsi. Mm-hmm. Um, that I backed the Kickstarter for, and there's a two headed dragon in there that I I used as the big bad in Yithrin that they fought, um, and that went really well. Um, crazy breath weapons that like polymorph or or do that kind of stuff like throws them for a loop and, and that's super fun. Um, but if this book had been out, I might have uh, done a little something different. So Yeah, that book is super wild. Um, oh, actually, that, that reminds me. Uh, this book does have interesting variants for a lot of uh, dragon abilities and stuff. Um, you, there are uh, variant uh, lair effects um, and stuff like that. I think it's really cool for just uh, making sure that, hey, if you fought two white dragons in the same campaign, it's super different. Right. For and example. That's, that's nice. Uh, I like the idea of being able to fight, uh, especially dragons, because the dragons, I don't know, it feels like they should be unique. When you're that old, your environment has to have an impact on who you are, <laughs> right? Uh, um it can't all be uh, all can't all be nature. There's got to be some nurture in these dragons that that so you could should be able to differentiate them. Yeah, um, like there's a ton of good content here that we haven't had a chance to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, like dragons and minions, it's just an extra trait that a creature picks up being a dragon minion to like help color an encounter, right? Um, some of them would be it would make a, a fight much more difficult, much much more difficult, right? And yet, because I've played games with uh, monks before. Um, it is also crucial. Don't just throw a single monster, even if it's a dragon, at, at a, play, a group of players because the monk will just run up and stun lock you. <laughs> Monks are here to burn through those legendary resistances. It's it's very true. Yep. All right. Well, I think we've addressed uh, most of Dar Jr.'s questions. He's the only one that's been asking much uh, in the chat. But I think a lot of them we've addressed as we've, as we've chatted. Uh, and now we talked about a lot of the others, so or the uh, the last few. So I think it's time to uh, wrap up this conversation. Call that the end of the episode. So we'd like to say thank you to all our listeners who support us. If you want to support us, become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/TomeShow. Such as our other awesome patrons, including Gene Crane, James Delacesio. Hyperlexic, Jill Sanders, Leonard Peltier, Doug Palmer, Michael Harrison, and newcomers, Andrew Avery, Catherine Carbanks, Frank Williams, and Narfenstein. I'd also like to say thanks to our guests, Enrique and Brandis. Enrique, where can we where can folks go if they want to hear more of the brilliant prognostications of the newbie DM? You could find me on um, Twitter at NubiDM and uh, on my blog at nubidm.com. And uh, that's pretty much it. Right on. And Brandis, 
Where should we go to, to learn more of the, the brilliance that is Brandis? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. I write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is BrandisStoddard.com. My Patreon is Brandis Stoddard. There you go. And if you want to get a hold of the show, you can email uh, thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on uh, – find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic. The show is at The Tome Show. We're also on Facebook and Discord. And and I also did want to, to – Give an apology to uh, uh, Mike Long from Tribality as well. He was supposed to join us for this episode, uh, but miscommunication and time zones, I think, got the better of us, uh, and it just didn't quite work out. Uh, and extra thank you to Enrique for filling in at the last minute. Literally, I, I sent you a message, and you're like, sure, I can sit down and do it, and 30 seconds later, we were we were recording. So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the surpri- kind of guy I am. Yeah. You are. And that's our surprise round episode where we totally decided that all dragons are either very, very nice, or else we don't want to piss them off, so we'll call them nice anyway. And also that a flying drake totally seems like a good thing, but why, oh, why do we have to wait till 15th level? And please check out the artwork as we discuss Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons in this episode of... I'm also lost.